Welcome to Social Discord. Today we're talking about news literacy and the rise of fake news. It's very scary to think that of the damage we're doing right now of the public perception of journalism. You know, it completely desensitizes them from what they're supposed to be informing the public about. Broadcast stations, they had no interest in, in news. Like news was a news for decades was a huge money loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of whatever this podcast is called. We're recording before we came up with a podcast name, so we're going to roll with it right now because this is what we've got. My name's Dalen Turk. My name is Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. Curtis, what are we trying to do here? What were your thoughts? You were the <laughs> one who kind of brought this to me. You gave me a phone call months ago about this idea of wanting to do this podcast. What, what did you have in mind? Well, um, I mean, I... I I'm not necessarily wanting to enlighten. I kind of actually want to learn um, about uh, politics and just how to sort of survive in like the modern age of, of over, uh, <laughs> you know, way too much information coming uh, to you from all directions and uh, kind of an overload, I guess. And uh, so I really just wanted to learn like what is going on, what can we do about it and sort of, share that experience with people who might be listening. And so with that, um, each episode is going to be roughly different, you know, depending on the topic, if we need to expand it to one or two episodes, whatever it may be. Um, for example, this first episode coming up right now, uh, we're going to be talking kind of about news literacy, trust in the media, um, because obviously that's a huge topic right now. That's something that everyone's having to deal with. Um, you know, everyone's got that aunt and uncle that's posting some weird conspiracy stuff on Facebook that doesn't necessarily mesh with what, you know, you've got going on in your mind. And so I guess we're trying to bring a little bit more of an understanding to how as a society we can look at this and work a little bit, you know, better together at creating more cohesive, I guess, idea of what news is. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. To give you a little bit more background, um, like I said, my name's Dalen Turk. I have a uh, degree in journalism from the University of Montana. There, I uh, focus my studies on photojournalism and radio broadcast. I've got experiences in uh, mostly uh, radio newsrooms. But yeah, I guess that's where I'm kind of uh, branching off from, obviously. Um, if you listen to some of our other shows on here, um, I'm the creator of the Podcast Without Borders Network. i um, done explaining things, 900 Things I Hate. Um, a point in time and uh, sports without borders. So I'm a little all over the place, but I know for Kara and Curtis, these, uh, this is your guys' first podcast. First foreign podcasting. Correct. Everyone's doing it, so why not? <laughs> it's a good time. I think <laughs> Curtis just looked up the stat, and there's something like 835,000 podcasts out there. Yeah, the, uh, that was just the active ones. <laughs> the active ones. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not counting the ones that, you know, went off five years ago or whatever. That's true. And uh, so. Yeah, every, Everyone and their mother is doing a podcast. Everybody, and I don't think my mom's doing a podcast. <laughs> um, so, Kara, what's uh, what's your background in? Yep. So, I also have a journalism degree. I went to Northeastern University. Um, I primarily focused on kind of the public policy aspect of things and how we actually consume news. So, how do we present news to people? Why are they consuming it the way they are? And what's our responsibility in terms of what we're giving the people? So, definitely compared to myself, where I was more of Creating the news sounds like you have 
a better grasp on what we're trying to tackle right now. A bit more of the theory, yeah. I think yeah. it took one or two interviews for me to realize, you know what? I don't really like being yelled at by <laughs> by angry men. So the journalism side for me, <laughs> more interested in the kind of the why and the how. Fair enough. It's a tough thing to deal with sometimes. Curtis, how about you? Um, so I, I do not have a, a journalism background, but I am like fascinated with all things politics. Um, I don't really find it to be especially entertaining my, to myself unless I'm learning something. Um, so so I kind of look at it as more of a like a study of humans, you know, uh, like, you know, like kind of like what Kara said, like the why is really what what I find fascinating. And um, the and the other thing that that um, I'm excited about maybe possibly doing with this is that you know, there's not a lot of perspective on politics um, from millennials. And I think all three of us are in the millennial like mm-hmm. range or whatever. And, uh, and I think that's going to be really important, you know, like, you know, uh, everything, you know, sort of from a, a different perspective, you might not hear anywhere else. So, so yeah, so my background is uh, not in professional politics or anything like that. Um, it's, it's in uh, photography and filmmaking and a bunch of things that a lot of baby boomers would call non-essential garbage. <laughs> non-essential garbage. You know, and I think um, <laughs> the whole millennial aspect, because um, I think we all kind of branch um, almost all the way either end of the millennial spectrum. I'm the I'm the very last year. I was born in 96, so I'm 24. Baby. I am a baby. <laughs> um, no Kurt, wonder you were first to, to know about podcasts. Hey, man, just trying to inform the people. And actually, Curtis um, uh, was one of my first employers. He um, hired me when I was 18 as a photographer, which is a big risk on his part. But I feel like it worked out. It did. It did. You're a great employee. Well, thanks. Um, (laughs) But with that, uh, why don't we go and dive into uh, today's topic? Um, So like I touched on earlier, we're going into some news literacy, people. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, how to trust the news, fake news, all that good stuff that we've been dealing with. Um, but we're going to take it back to start off. And so to give a little context to, you know, where all this started. Um, so going back to the 1930s with the Nazi party in Germany, um, and this was before it really took off into the whole World War II aspect, um, before Hitler really started invading Poland and, you know, really becoming that, I guess, militaristic. And they were militaristic, but not to the extent that people think of when they think Nazis. But um, it was Lugenpresse was kind of the first, um, I guess, citing, not citing, um, but first notorious use of that term, which that actually translate to lying press. So not quite fake news, but it's kind of the first idea of that popping up um, especially being used by someone in political power. Um, but I think something that goes a little bit more useful into what the actual like aspect of journalism is today is yellow journalism. And that started um, kind of in the ni- uh, 1980s, 1890s with William Randolph Hearst. Um, <laughs> so new. The 1980s. <laughs> Um, Madonna started yellow journalism. <laughs> I mean, if there was anybody to start it, it's going to be Madonna, right? Idol. Um, so yellow journalism was this form of journalism started uh, between William Randolph Hearst and um, Joseph Pulitzer. And it was basically them just having this huge feud between each other in New York. Um, and 
William Randolph Hearst was the first one to really use the style of journalism in the way that it's recognized. And he created these crazy sensationalized stories with these literal huge headlines on his newspapers. Like they would take up almost half of the front page because it was just big and grabbing and that's what people saw and that's what they gravitated towards. And I think we can connect that today because how many people do you know, and I was talking to Curtis about this, that he'll scroll through Facebook, he'll scroll through Twitter, and the only thing they see is the headline. And that's what they base their news off of for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. You know, you're, you're, you're going through Facebook and a friend has posted, you know, in the big yellow letters or whatever. It's like, you know, five things uh, that'll kill you tomorrow or whatever. And it's like, well, I want to know what five things that'll kill me tomorrow is, you know, so click. <laughs> exactly. And it's, I mean, one thing, and you'll see because um, with William Randolph Hearst, is he used this type of journalism to you know, attack leaders in the communities to attack, you know, Joseph Pulitzer to attack politicians. And they use it as a way to really kind of honestly kind of as a weapon to assert their dominance, you know, within their own monopoly. Um, and there's other. Well, it, was, it was yielding power, too. I mean, yes. Just, you know, if if, uh, if you have that resource at your disposal, you know, that's a very powerful weapon. Um, you know, in, in the right or wrong hands, really. <laughs> and I want to, I want to separate yellow journalisms from, uh, journalisms, um, from what's called muckraking. Um, and they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of intertwined, um, because they came about roughly at the same time and yellow journalism faded out a little bit at right after the cusp of the 20th century. Um, and muckraking really picked up there with industrialization. Uh, but muckraking is more of, digging to find that, you know, that juicy, that dirt, that, you know, it, it's not the most ethical way to go about finding the quote-unquote news, um, whereas yellow journalism can be straight up just fabricating stories or just making it as sensational as possible just to grab the reader. And I think muckraking probably helped launch the investigative journalism piece and people yes. getting in there and digging down dirty um, but there was usually some fact based in that, I think. Exactly. Um, because that was a, um, kind of a big fight for the people fighting against, um, honestly guys like, um, uh, Gallagher and whatnot, you know, these huge corporate giants that owned industrialization who, um, you know, just really kind of spat on the working man and these muckrakers went in and a lot of times, you know, uncovered these awful conditions and, um, you know, led to stuff like child labor laws. Um, so in that sense, you know, it's it was a very important transition in journalism that happened. Um, but with the idea of transitions, um, another thing we should talk about is the language that is used when we're talking about journalists. Um, and part of that is what we call the quote-unquote media. Um, and so you'll notice in, you know, if you're watching a movie about the 1920s, it'll, you know, say the press. And it's an interesting, and I didn't know this, and Curtis brought this up. We have a little sheet going on here with some facts and whatnot. Um, and the idea of the media actually started in the Nixon era. Um, and Curtis, can you touch on that? Yeah. Um, so what I read about it was that uh, you know, like so many things in politics, it started with Nixon. Like, I find this over and over again in modern modern politics. Um, and in my opinion, a lot of things I don't agree with, 
but even some things I agree with, uh, it seems like it all kind of started from that era. Um, Nixon used to refer to journalists um, as the media instead of the press to sort of like uh, make them seem like one entity that, you know, maybe you shouldn't trust. And, and that, and he did that because um, he suspected that they didn't like him and they probably didn't. He wasn't really a likable person. <laughs> no, know, he really you know. wasn't. <laughs> I mean, not that you have to be to be a good, uh, you know, politician, but, but it helps, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, so he, he kind of started this as a sort of a slur almost um, to, you know, a, a, to call in the media, similar to probably what's going on now and, and what, and how Trump picked up the, that same sort of, uh, you know, way of, of, of fighting back uh, journalism he doesn't agree with. But what's what's really interesting about that, too, is with the Nixon era, the people loved the press. They, you know, after the Watergate stuff happened, they rallied around the press and they relied on them to tell them the truth. And they, you know, I feel like people trusted a lot more than we do now. So it's interesting to figure out why, you know, targeting the press didn't work for Nixon, but Trump's done a great job of it. That's true. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and for, for one thing, uh, I think Nixon might've just been a little ahead of his time, um, because, uh, he, I think he certainly had all of the same setup, um, as, as Trump does, but he just didn't maybe have as many, um, outlets to, to get it out. You know, back then there were very few sources of, of, uh, news and he, and he couldn't control them, you know, as much as, as he can now. And they weren't necessarily after the most sensational, you know, quote of the day. Um, if, you know, if you look at like Watergate or you look at like, um, the, I think it's called the Vietnam papers or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, that was a huge thing. Um, you know, it was, it, those stories came out after like months of, of, uh, or at least weeks in some cases of, uh, of, you know, of, of research and, and, and really great journalism, some of the best journalism probably ever, mm-hmm. ever done, you know? And, and so, you know, they didn't have the same, uh, so they had a lot more behind their stories than, you know, I say, I think a lot, a lot of times now it's easier to refute these things because, you know, the story is only 48 hours old or whatever. And by the time the press catches up with, you know, the, the facts that really matter, to get to people, people have already made up their minds one way or the other, and that's if if they're uh, taking in the t- the the kind of quality uh, media that will actually tell them a fair and balanced uh, um, you know version of, of 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 what happened. You know, and it's it's fascinating, and kind of in an attempt to practice what we're preaching. Um, I'm, throughout this, I want to do as best as we can giving you the sources, letting you know where we're getting this information. And so um, a lot of the information we're talking about right now is from an article called The Fall, Rise, and Fall of Media Trust. Um, and that's by Michael Schutzen uh, from the Columbia Journalism Review. Um, and in that, Michael discusses the idea that, and it really didn't pick up until... Um, kind of in the mid '60s, um, especially with a you know guy like Walter Cronkite, um, where there weren't these mass you know this mainstream media as we discussed today. You know, it's not these national news outlets like CNN and Fox News and whatnot where everybody gets that. Um, you know, every every major metropolitan era had their Metro dailies that they got, but even in their editorial pages, they still had some 
agenda that they lean towards. And so, especially with, um, for example, Watergate, when it broke, you know, it it was a situation where it was a, one of the first examples of where, quote-unquote, mass media took that out to the entire public and they saw what, I guess you could say, what power journalism had. And, it, you know, what power journalism had in advocating for the people. And I'm not sure we ever had any audio leaks like we saw with Nixon. And I think maybe we've desensitized ourselves a bit because now you see an audio that comes out from this senator or the president or, you know, this person every other day. And it's a little bit of leaked audio and it's, oh, that's not a good look. But back then, I don't know if we ever had a politician, you know, got him like that. I don't. I'm, well, yeah, there I'm not was sure. the, there was the tapes. There was the Nixon tapes, but but so much of that was redacted. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of the like like they you know fought to get that released or whatever. And and after they fought to get it released, there were like eleven missing minutes or whatever that had like you know all of the incriminating evidence. But it was you know uh, executive uh, uh, privilege or whatever is how they you know defended not releasing that to the press, even though Nixon had like secretly taped all these people. You know, the other thing, too, is, um, you know, if you go back a little further to like the McCarthyism days um, and I and I'm getting this mostly from um, like movies like Good Night and Good Luck, which was about um, mm-hmm. Edward R. Murrow. You know, one of the things I took away from that film was was how conflicted Edward R. Murrow was in taking any side of an issue that seemed to a lot of people to be pretty clearly wrong. Um, but, but, and even though he thought that he also kept his composure for such a long time. And if you've ever seen that movie, it, he, he, it's about him making the decision to, to take a side on, on McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and that was, you know, a crazy thing to do back then. And, and, And it mattered that, that he did it because he was so trusted and he was so, you know, uh, he, he was, he was somebody that held a lot of influence with the American public. And so similar to Walter Cronkite, you know, and, and some of the some of these people that came up through the news media, um, you know, what they said mattered. So they were very careful in making and uh, deciding or making any kind of like preference toward any story. They, showing any preference. What people like Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite were able to do, they were able to bring the journalists themselves into America's living room and they, Mm -hmm. they became the face that America trusted. Um, and I think, and I think, um, it was, uh, in the same article, um, the fall rise and fall of media trust. Um, he touches on it again, that at the time, and I don't know if that's applicable to today, but journalists were trusted more than the government, but journalists won't weren't as trusted as the military or corporations or whatnot at the time. And it's it's an interesting, I guess, ladder that was built in terms of who the American public trusted. Well, and that that's still true today. Uh, both numbers are down, but like you know, I mean, it's not hard to be more trusted than, than Congress right now. It's like they're at like seventeen percent approval rating you know so <laughs> you know so if journalists are at That's like tough. 30 or something you know yeah you know it's they're not they're definitely went down but they're still more trusted than politicians and politicians still don't like that um you know something in that story too that i thought was interesting it, it said 
mainstream outlets have increasingly emphasized an, an, an analysis and news coverage, not quite so much who, what, when, where as the why, um, and that there's been a cultural shift in journalism during that period of the you know 60s and 70s in that era. And that, that's true, but I think a lot of people felt like like they're, they were wasting their their position of of uh, power if they if they didn't lend it to some of the people who needed that attention, you know. So I think a lot of these journalists felt like like if that there was some leeway to putting some opinion in the news. Well, and it's interesting because you look at why the the who, what, when, where, and why matters, or the who, what, when, where compared to the why, um, and it's because if if it's if the why is convincing enough to people, the who, what, when, and where don't matter. Um, and it's I think it's something that, for example, is happening um, today. There was the story about the. African-American man who was just shot in uh, Georgia. And, you know, I was uh, reading the article. And for those of you who are unaware or don't have full context, um, he it's a story of an African-American man. He was on a jog and he was being followed by a white, uh, two white men, a son and a father. And they got out and of the vehicle when he ran past uh, their truck. And the son got out with a shotgun and he and the runner got in a fight and he shot and killed the runner. Um, and they said it was because he looked like the or he matched the description of someone who had been um, burglarizing the neighborhood recently. And I was reading the article and I looked at the comments and someone in the comments said, you know, what if he had just finished killing his uh, baby mama and his son at home and they, you know, just killed him and he just committed that murder at his house. And to me that it, it just goes to show and I, you can call it confirmation bias where no matter the story, they look for something to confirm their biases. That's when the why matters the most. So, and there's a term for that now that we call it, we call it me media. And it's that we have access to so many media sources now, it is very, very easy to pick and choose where you're getting your news. So if you wanna believe something and it, and it matches up with your morals and your values, you can subscribe, hit follow, turn on the radio to whatever stations you want to that you know kind of confirm that view of the world you have. Um, but there's so many sources of news, and so there's going to be people on the other end of the spectrum, and then it's extremely conflicting for people who have built this echo chamber of one type of media, and now you have a whole host of people who are liars because it's not what they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, and you literally are are typing keywords into your browser to come up with this whatever come you know whatever story you're reading or whatever. So, so depending on on how you you know, what news you search for, you're going to get more of what you're expecting uh, and, nearly every time. And that's what I worry about right now is that people, this fake news term is being thrown about when it really means I don't like that truth. I don't like that. Therefore, it must be false. And I'm going to go find someone who tells me what I do like. And that makes me nervous because I think journalism is supposed to be honest. It's supposed to be very factual and objective. But now we have people who are pandering to, you know, these individuals who they don't want to hear it. And so I'm not sure how we combat that without just sheer education and media literacy. You know, and we look at fake news. And so 
Fake news, like I said, it, it was notoriously used for the first time in 1930s. The lying press, you know, not the same, but we can connect the dots. And then it came up again in 2014, actually in Germany again. And then it really, you know, came to life in 2016 with Donald Trump. And we're not, you know, we're trying to avoid harping on Republicans and harping on Donald Trump as best as we can. But we can't ignore the fact that the center of the idea of fake news is Donald Trump. Um, and so you're going to hear us talking about Donald a lot, and you're going to hear us talking about Republicans a lot. And we're going to counteract it with other points pointing towards other demographics. But it's just important to recognize where these things come from. And it's not necessarily being biased. It's just recognizing being transparent that, transparent that it's famous with Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And that's just how it is. Well, and one of the things I want to do with this podcast is I really want to bring people back together again. Um, you know, so so you know, while I don't like Trump, um, you know, from from a political standpoint, even from a personal standpoint, um, you know, I also try to take his side on some things. If like just if not for nothing else, to sort of like help myself understand why somebody believes differently than I do, and I think it's important that we try to bridge the gap and and and. You know, and even though we're going to talk about him, we're we're not necessarily going to demonize him. But that doesn't also, but also doesn't mean that we're going to, we're going to treat him, you know, special either, um, because that's that would be the other extreme. So to try to walk that sort of middle uh, line, that tightrope, uh, is is my goal. Yeah, and I I think we do that with with facts, and I think that's <laughs> what we're missing with a lot of places right now. Because if we just stuck to the facts, it might not always be pretty, and people might not like it, but we, we've got to get back to that. And so I, I think that's a, that's a great goal for us to have here because I think we've really strayed from that as a society in general when we're reporting news and talking about it. That's true. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, lot of, um, a lot of stories that basically are just kind of nudging you like, see, see, you were right, like I, out there, <laughs> um, not really giving you a whole lot more to go with it, um, you know, with uh, with the story that you were just talking about about the um, African American man that was shot, um, you know there was somebody posted on I, mean, I I don't remember if this was a legit site or not, but it was like a video of somebody like walking through a construction site and and it was and the and over like in quotations or whatever it was like like oh he was out for a you know jog right or something like that and this was like this was like a a, a source that was trying to be news like and. And it, it, it seemed very, you know, there was no context there. <laughs> you know, there was no like this video was shot during this time. This what you know, this is what this means. It was like this is this is a belief that makes that that helps you, uh, you know, sustain whatever you already believed. You know, I, I, and I think that brings us back to what the idea of fake news really is, because it started out. Um, I think it started out as like literal fake news like this news either is not correct or is made up. And actually, um, Trump, you know, he's famous for calling out, you know, MSNBC, CNN, you know, MSN, whatever it may be that <laughs> isn't Fox News, basically, or a conservative. Yeah, it's, it's easier to say the ones he likes yeah. than the ones he doesn't. <laughs> or, you know, basically anything that isn't, that isn't right-leaning, he calls out. And, um, you know, there's a quote by him, 
Um, the fake news networks, those that knowingly have a sick and biased agenda, agenda all caps, are worried about the competition and quality of Sinclair broadcast, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah, that, that, this was this was uh, it's related to Sinclair uh, broadcast, you know, buying a bunch of networks and all that. But but this was actually talking about the um, the um, fake news awards. I don't know if you said yeah. that maybe it cut out or something. But uh, yeah, but this was the fake news awards that that uh, was posted on the GOP like official website. Um, I think as recently as 2018, uh, it was it was a really cheap kind of childish like, uh, you know, way of pointing out that, you know, these stories were wrong. Therefore, don't trust the media kind mm-hmm. of thing like that. That was the insinuation. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. And in the like 10 examples they gave that year that, you know, won the awards for being fake news, like most of them had been corrected, like, like, you know, since, and, and most of them honestly weren't, were kind of petty, like little things, you know, it would be like, like one of them was that, that Trump had taken, uh, I think it was the Lincoln statue or something like a little Lincoln, like bust or whatever out of his, out of the white house when he moved in or something. And it was mm-hmm. like, and that was, a, and, and it, and it's true. It did run in, in the, in a big paper, um, and it was retracted that it that wasn't true and still there or whatever. Um, and, but, but that part wasn't mentioned in the fake news awards, you know, all that was mentioned was this was fake, therefore don't trust them. And, and it was, it was just such a, like a, a small narrowed view of, of, you know, what all of journalism is, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting and maybe it's just because before I went to college, I didn't pay enough attention to it, but I really didn't like, I don't remember and here's me being you know the young millennial um like i don't remember so much conversation about you know fake news and what's true within media prior to his presidency there there wasn't like this i mean i think i it the tone changed so dramatically from even back in 2011 which is when i kind of you know started studying journalism to now and it's it's disheartening to say the least because we've never seen this much anger and hostility towards the media and the press and they're very important people like we cannot discount how important the press is i mean they they bring us stories that we wouldn't have heard otherwise they help give whistleblowers a voice um this is it's very scary to think that of the damage we're doing right now of the public perception of journalists and on the other side of that journalists have a responsibility too to not you know live up to that reputation i mean we need to make sure that if we're putting out news, we're fact-checking it, we're sticking to the points, we're being objective, and I think both parties have a lot of work to do in terms of trust and in terms of repairing that relationship. A part of that, too, is the way the public perceives it. So, for example, Monmouth University did a study um, or a poll, and this poll showed that three out of four Americans believe the media is routinely reporting fake news, whether that be left-leaning, right-leaning, Fake news is apparently all over the place, according to the public. And then the Gallup and Knight Foundation also did a study, and they found that 42% of Republicans consider news stories that cast a political group or a politician specifically in negative light as fake news. And so that's when I talk about the idea of what fake news really is, that's where it really comes into question where is this story really not accurate or does it just not associate with your you know particular view um and so and once again you know trump is famous for this where if there is a news source criticizing him it's fake news 
and something that I brought up today on Facebook is public servants, um, you know, government officials, um, you know, whether they be state level, local level, you know, highest level of the president, they are public servants. They are at the duty of the Absolutely. people. They are elected for a reason and therefore they are held to a certain scrutiny. Um, and something that happened today actually was Trump's lawyer requested basically immunity as the president for him to not be charged with anything or, you know, have no investigations brought about upon him. And until he leaves office, at least. Yeah. And so and this was in a CNN article. And, um, you know, they asked her like, well, you know, what's your reasoning? And his lawyer's reasoning was he's the president. And, you know, the president's not above the law. Um, and the issue with that is, well, you know, legal precedent for most things is five years. And so if he wins re-election and he has immunity, whatever he's trying to be charged with now that he could be charged with after his presidency, all of a sudden, you know, it loses precedence because it's been longer than five years. And so that's the whole issue with that. Um, the problem, too, is, is, is like, I'm, let me, I'm going to say something controversial, but don't, like, let me explain it, though. Technically, the president is above the law. But it's only technically because what's supposed to happen is if they do something that is criminal um, or even not even criminal, not even like like you can arrest them for, but just sort of so immoral or not helpful to like the country. What's supposed to happen is the Congress is supposed to impeach them so that they become a private citizen so that at that point they cannot be above the law and get charges against them. But like, but what was challenged with with Nixon, and he had this famous um, interview with with Frost. Uh, I think I forget his first name, but I think it was Robert. But I can't remember. But um, the poet. But, uh, was, <laughs> <laughs> the poet. No, yeah, Robert Frost. Oh my God, I gotta look it up. Okay, it wasn't Robert. You know, and, and it's kind of what Dick Cheney used to gain most of his power as the vice president, um, where he manipulated. Bush's presidency, because oh. basically there's in the, uh, what is it, the Section 2 or whatever, the Constitution, it basically states that if the president does it, it is therefore legal. Dick Cheney right. took that to heart, and he used right. that and abused that as the vice president, and he used that to manipulate and basically take power of, you know, as vice president in a basically useless position. Yeah, so it was David Frost, not Robert Frost. Yes, David <laughs> Frost. <laughs> My bad. Um, and yeah, and the and the quote was, "When the president does it, it's not illegal." So, so Richard Nixon was making the case that essentially the president could do anything. Now, but this is an important thing, though. It's like it really goes down to like the founding fathers and like their idea of 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 what the president is and what the president is not. The reason that that it's set up so that a president can't officially break the law is that if is that if a president sends let's say soldiers into war or something like that or he orders let's say the the killing of a you know of official or something you know in another country like because he can't be brought to law it, it makes it so that whoever disagrees with him in in the, the u.s can't be like now you're a murderer now you can go to right. you know jail for murder or whatever so like it's sort of like that's why there's that separation. Why, like, you know, kind of, sort of, technically, they they're they're not responsible for what they do personally. 
uh, you know, so I don't know. So, I mean, there's, but, but, but at the same time, it's not, it's meant to protect them against like the, the jobs of the president, not their personal like lives, you know? So like Trump's taxes is his personal life. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's profiting illegally off of being president is not protected, in my opinion, under that under that uh, statute. And I would like to point out also that the his presidency is the presidency, but his campaign is his personal life. And there's well, a there, distinction and there's between two, that as there, well. There's, and there's two there's two different things that the Supreme Court is seeing right now. One is um, about his candidacy uh, pre-2016 or 2016 and before. Um, and the other one is, is, uh, is during his presidency. So there's actually two to separate um, cases. One is filed by the state of New York. Um, and the other one, I, you know, I'm not looking at it in front of me, but the other one I think is federal. Oh, you know, the other one was the House of Representatives. Right. The other one was from the House of Representatives, yeah. So, like, so the cleverness, though, about it is, is the Supreme Court could decide um, that, you know, maybe his taxes while he's president, uh, for some reason, isn't fair game, but the taxes before he became president is. All right. So let's bring it back to media, though, because we've been talking about fake news and the idea that so much of it is based on your biases, um, a.k.a. your opinions. Um, I really want to differentiate opinions and news. Um, and so starting off with that, um, Let's get the definitions. And so a lot of this information we're going to bring up right now is provided by the Digital Resource Center. Um, It's the Center for News Literacy, um, and it's a great resource. Um, They have fantastic lessons on there um, that are really short and to the point and really bring out what is most important in terms of journalism and news um, for the public. Um, So if you do have any questions about you know, just how the media works or the history of it or, you know, the context of it, the Digital Resource Center is a very, very good source to, you know, get educated on that kind of stuff. But so news is timely information about a subject of some public interest that is shared and subject to the journalistic process of verification by an independent organization that is accountable. And then opinion, a view, (laughs) a judgment, or an appraisal formed in the mind about a particular matter. One aspect of opinion that, you know, was very prominent, especially in um, today's society, and especially, you know, since what you know, you might consider, you know, modern times of media progressing from the 80s is talk radio. Um, and so what happened in the 19 in uh, 1949, there was something called the Fairness Doctrine that was put into place by the FCC. And basically what the Fairness Doctrine did was it made it so that um, radio news outlets had to, one, they were required to broadcast on matters that were controversial and of importance to the public. And two, they were required to broadcast opposing sides. They had to counteract one bias with another. It was, um, I guess, a way to, you know, counteract kind of the dirty journalism that was happening in the early 1900s. And so that went on all the way until... 1987 um, during Reagan's presidency when he his FCC removed that and so all of a sudden well, 
Go ahead, Curtis. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, the important like word in that is required. Yes. Because because at the time, uh, the news or the, the, the broadcast stations, they had no interest in, in news. Like news was a news for decades was a huge money loss to, mm-hmm. to these networks. Um, you know, so 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 they saw it as so the, the, the trade off was. Okay, uh, you know NBC, CBS, I think ABC was the other one. You know, we'll let you use federal airwaves, but but for that, you're going to you know have this many minutes of news per day. Yep. And and so so the broadcast channels were like you know kicking the can, all right, you know. And so they kind of like they kind of just they kind of just did it as a public service, um, you know. And then flash forward to later on where it became more more successful. And that's what you'll hear. Um, so I worked for, um, it was uh, Talk 1370, Intercom Communications in Austin. They're an AM news station, talk news station. It was uh, right-leaning. So we had guys like, you know, Sean Hannity. Um, uh, we had, uh, oh, who is it? Brian uh, something or other. Can't think of it. But it was, it was right-leaning. And, you know, you'll hear, you know, hear, you know, your news at the top of the hour. And for, you know, at 6.03, you know, the, Three minutes after every hour, you'll hear it's just the news, and then all of a sudden they'll go back to their <laughs> you know opinion airing. All of a sudden, Hannity comes back with her, you know whatever it may be, um, and you know touching going back to that um, in 1987, Reagan took that fairness doctrine away, um, and part of it also was because the AM waves were dying, like the the industry was just not surviving compared to FM, where music became so much more popular. And so all of a sudden, this fairness doctrine gets taken away. So basically, you can broadcast whatever you know views or opinions you want. And then the AM, you know, the AM waves were so cheap to buy; they were cheap stations to buy. And so all of a sudden, you get these right-leaning and religious leaders in the industry industry who are struggling to find, you know, a place in the media an outlet an outlet exactly i think that's a good a great word it's an outlet they purchase this in that you know starting with a guy like rush limbaugh who's kind of the og of talk radio (laughs) um and ever since republican talk radio or right you know right-leaning talk radio has dominated the airways um and you'll find today that i think you'll see especially with podcast it's more left-leaning but in terms of talk radio or political or news talk radio specifically is absolutely dominated by the right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it was crazy to see Donald Trump give, uh, Rush Limbaugh. What was it? The medal of, uh, Oh, was it like medal the medal of freedom? The freedom. Yeah. Freedom? The medal of freedom or something. Um, yeah. Um, that was crazy because like, you know, it's, it was sort of like, it was like a good job for like paving the way for opinion news, <laughs> you know, for, you know, for, for telling, you know, for telling the, the, the conservative point point of view, but, but without the other side to back it up or whatever. <laughs> well, and you have to wonder, I mean, you both touched on it. Like this came about because people didn't feel like they had an outlet for this. So there was an audience for this and people who didn't feel like the news spoke to them and so what I, I wonder is, did the news not speak to them because it wasn't, you know, we talked about this, saying things that they wanted to say? Or is the news really, you know, left-leaning? And it is it does tend to skew liberal. And in, in that case, you know, 
You have to understand why someone would want to hear something from the other side. Um, but either way, there was a need for it, and there were people who didn't feel like that need was being met. So why weren't journalists filling that void? That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like uh, like most of the time when needs aren't met, it's usually because it's considered to be a niche audience, or you know, and uh, and one of the things that has happened with with uh, AM radio and then with cable and then with the internet, uh, you know, is that it, it because there's so many more stations available to happen, like literally more room on the airwaves, um, and and then if it's through cable, you know, just unlimited pretty much, uh, you know, number of channels you can have, like like the 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 rise of of niche everything is is uh is giving a lot of people who maybe wouldn't would have been sort of overlooked the chance to have their own their own network or whatever um that's totally where a lot of these things come from is you know it's like well why aren't you know why don't we represent the 20 to 30 percent of like you know extremely right-wing people you know and then the left is the same way why don't we represent the extremely you know 20 to 30 percent of a very left-leaning people and and then 24 hours a day they start representing them yeah and i think in a perfect world you know we would have a society that only wanted news that was factual. It didn't matter how it made you feel. It doesn't matter if it upsets you because it's, it goes against what you want to believe or because what you do believe. Um, somehow we strayed from, you know, data sets and from factual information to, I'm just going to find a new source that makes me feel a little bit better about the day. And you can do that now. And so I think that's what right. journalists have to battle now in these mainstream media sources is, how do you convey the news in a way that makes people trust you, even though you're probably saying some stuff they don't want to hear? Well, and it feels like, you know, a lot of these these networks that say like the high, you know, let's say New York Times website um, and, you know, uh, say One American Network website or whatever, like, you know, they feel like they're the same on your computer. Like, like unless you really look at like, you know, the maybe the quality of the images or something like, you know, as far as it just being like piped to you, like it feels the same, it's on the same level. So, so you have, so you, you can't just sort of be the news anymore by default. Like you can only rely on your, your name so much. You have to really remind people, you know, that, okay, you shouldn't, un, you shouldn't listen to us just because we're the New York times. We've been around forever. You should listen to us because, you know, we are accountable. Like you're like the definition of news you just read, you know, what makes them accountable. So, you know, technically I always think the, the bigger the media outlet, the more accountable they have to be because if they're wrong, it'll cost them even more, you know, like who cares yeah. if, you know, so, some Yahoo, you know, on a, you know, a podcaster says, says something wrong or whatever, like that has a, a modest reach. There's not a lot of money behind it, not a lot of advertising and all that stuff. You don't have the name yet, but once you start building that name and you have that that um, that huge you know network to protect, suddenly everything becomes really important to be accurate. So I trust. So like for example, I posted a, a story from New York Times on Facebook, and a conservative friend of mine, his only comment on it, like I wasn't even sure if he read it honestly. His only comment on it was, "Oh, we should just trust the mainstream media," and I was like. No, <laughs> that's not what this is about. Like, like, you know, like, like, yeah, they're the New York Times. You should probably give it at least a look. You know, they're, they're probably the most like well-funded, you know, research uh, engine, you know, that there, that there is in the country. 
So yeah, they, mm-hmm. they, have, they probably, you know, have more to lose if they're wrong, therefore are probably more likely to be right. But no, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you should trust them more. But, but at the same time, like, I think reasonably there's a higher uh, chance of accuracy. You know, and I, I find it interesting that you bring up the, the size, like the fact that the size of these organizations matter, because then you get in the case, and we touched a little bit on them before, and we'll get into it a little bit closer right now, but a group like Sinclair Broadcasting. Um, and so for those who don't know, Sinclair Broadcasting is um, they're a massive corporation that owns the largest amount of local news stations in the country. And in the face of, you know, the fake the fake news, honestly, the fake news pandemic that we're facing right now, ironically, um, local news is kind of the safe haven where you can look to them as, you know, because most local news stations don't, your local news TV stations don't carry, you know, editorial segments as much as these, you know, massive nationally broadcasted newscasts. But you get Sinclair Broadcasting where they run things like must-runs. Hey everyone, this is Dalen coming back through while I'm editing this episode. Just wanted to clarify a little bit on this clip that we're about to run. So this is a clip that kind of went around the internet and it's basically layering all of the local newscasts that did these must-runs that Sinclair sent out layered on top of each other. So this is not what the stations had to play. This is what all of the stations, the script that they had to say, but layered on top of each other to show how vast this issue is and the grasp that Sinclair really has on our local news. So I just wanted to clarify, I didn't want you to think that this is what they're playing because it's not. The words that they are saying is what they are required to say. That is what the must run is. But this clip shows just how vast it really is. Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trying to be responsible, one-sided news stories, plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy you know how how do you put trust into a news organization that just completely creates robots of their newscasters. You know, it it completely desensitizes them from what they're supposed to be informing the public about. It's just like, hey, we're reading this. These are words. It's funny because on Facebook (laughs) the other day, I saw one of my more conservative family members posted something and they were like, this is Project Mockingbird. And I'm like, oh, the Hunger Games. No. (laughs) It, it It was a clip of all of those and it was all those news reporters saying that at the same time. And they were like, this is what the news is doing to you. It's brainwashing you. It's this. And I was like, and it was, a Trump thing. And it was you know, not quite the same thing. But I think 
<laughs> yeah, no, Dalen, Dalen, to your point, it's true. Like when we when we do that, it doesn't do anything to help the trust if people are under the correct impression that sometimes nationwide, every individual news station is getting one script from one corporation. I mean, it and completely that's a key word undermines too. corporation. <laughs> yeah, it's an ugly right. word. It com- it completely undermines like local news. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I mean, you know, like it's really it's so the reason like just to get let's just get right to it. The reason that I don't like Trump it has nothing to do with his with his political beliefs. Like he could have my exact political beliefs, and I wouldn't like him. And the reason I don't like him is that is that he says. He says one thing and then he says the exact opposite mm-hmm. next, you know? So like, like I always call him like a, like a broken clock. Like he, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Right. Just by like sheer, like, ma- you know, coincidence. Like, and so like, so he just says what, whatever with no like context to what he said before. So like no reference to what he says before. So like with, uh, with Sinclair news, like he was like, Oh yeah, great. Sinclair, you know, Sinclair news is great or whatever. But like, that is like, the opposite of what of what he should be for, you know, he should not be like just because he believes that yes, yeah, Sinclair is more more conservative or whatever. Like that doesn't that that's not what he used to be, say he was for. He used to say he was for you know sort of like uh, like grassroots, you know, like real you know news. Don't believe the corporate you know mainstream media. Believe the you know the local you know I don't know if he said local news, but like you know believe like the 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 kind of the ones in the trenches or whatever like the real news and here's like sinclair news is like faceless corporation that is doing as bad or worse but with them it's okay and and you know this might be a controversial opinion depending on you know what side of the aisle you're on but i i do think that journalists need to step up more and it's okay to call these politicians out when donald trump has you know recorded clips of him saying two different things and he is denying both of them we we pass it off so often because he just does so much ridiculous stuff as do many politicians and we let it go and i think journalists do need to step up to the plate a bit more and it's okay for us to call people out it's okay for us to be like you just said these two conflicting things you can't tell me you didn't say that and i think sometimes we get too scared to say anything and, and, you know, I think maybe one of the reasons that people, when they read a story that says something negative about a politician and they call that fake news, I think the reason that they are so negative so quickly is because they're thinking of it more as a call out and less as a, like a need to understand, you know, like, like if, if the story, you know, if the story is written from the perspective of like Trump said the sky is blue and then Trump said the sky is red which is it, Mr. President, you know, like, like if it's a, if it's a way to understand him and to figure out whether or not you disagree after you understand, that's one thing. And I think like a lot of conservatives, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them would, would read both of those statements and be like, that is confusing. You know, like I believe in this, but I still think it's confusing. I, I, he could have said that in a better way or whatever, but if the story is like, if, if it feels left leaning and it feels like, like they're calling him out just to do it, like then I think they sort of turn their, their brains switch off and it, and it just turns into fake news and ignore it all, you know, that kind of thing, because it seems so much more like challenging versus like trying to understand. Yeah. The intent is definitely important. 
as consumers, we do have a responsibility to make sure, that especially, especially if you're going to click share or you're going to retweet something, to make sure that it's grounded in some type of fact. You have a responsibility if, if you're going to start doing that and if you're going to start talking about these things like it's fact to, hey, go find another source or just be pay attention to the wording that's being used. How many sources are there? Is there any data there? Is mm -hmm. there, you know, is there um, a professional talking about something? I think a, a great example going on with the pandemic right now is so many YouTube videos of, you know, these nurses that get on and like, you know, I'm not going to name the hospital and I'm not going to name my friend who's on the front lines in New York and I'm not going to name these patients that I've dealt with, but the media is lying to you. And it's like, well, but you know, where's the transparency? How do we know you're not just making this up? How do we know you have real sources? How do we know you actually have a friend in New York? How do we know that you're actually a nurse? And yet well, and, people and will share these the videos. Yeah. I mean, conservatives, conservatives say the same thing, though, you know, like, uh, I think I think there's some misunderstanding of the difference between somebody saying this on YouTube, uh, you know, and not having a source and, and a journalist that is citing an unnamed source, like, like, like basic things of, like that. Conservatives see, um, you know, a, uh, a news story that says Trump said this according to an unnamed source, and they think the same thing you thought about that nurse on YouTube. Which I, and I don't, you can't blame someone for that. And it, you are taught in journalism school, avoid anonymous sources at all costs, unless, you know, there's, that's the only way to do the story. Otherwise, you know, that's the way that you get people to trust you. You give them the sources. And I think as consumers, we have to understand that we have to digest the news. And just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember. All right, guys, and on that, we are coming up on time. We're at about an hour. This is uh, roughly about how long we want each episode to be. Um, but I hope what we accomplished today was creating context and really establishing what the idea of fake news is and what we're dealing with in today's media. And we're going to split this up into a two-parter. So coming up next week, what we want to do along with you is really learn how – to be news literate. How can we consume all of this in a responsible way and disperse it amongst ourselves? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think, I think the, the feeling I get from a lot of people, particularly younger uh, people um, is that it's sort of like, it just feels so daunting, so negative all the time that like a lot of times we just sort of want to cast it away and, and not think about it, you know, but it's so important that like, like we actually have, um, a legit media out there that informs us about what's going on. So it's not, you know, a surprise one day when something changes and, and you had no idea, you know, it's, and to be a part of that change. So, so yeah, I, I'm really excited about talking about that next week with like, you know, what, so, okay, here we have, we find ourselves in this era, um, of, of, you know, questionable news and, and, uh, and, and, uh, questionable politics you know, how do we solve this? How do we start bringing people together from conservative and from liberal, you know, extremes and the moderates um, all together to to figure out uh, at least to some degree what what the truth is, uh, what we can argue about, but in a civil way and how we can move forward from all this. You know, I think we do not live in a climate that makes it easy to trust the news right now. But whose fault is that? I, you know, that's a whole another episode. But it's very difficult right now to consume news and know what you're reading. So I think 
you do have to consciously make an effort to seek out factual news and to constantly be checking your own biases as you're reading and to make sure that as you're reading through things, you can pick up on little things that stand out to you as, well, that's something to maybe flag for later or that's something to think about. Um, and so I think I would like to explore ways of doing that in a way that's manageable because it's not realistic to say, oh, to find the true news, you need to go read 10 news sources every day. So how do we read the news in a manageable way that's accurate, um, but that's still in a responsible manner? All right. So guys, this is a... this is going to be kind of a fluid process, so work with us here. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope we, you know, made you think of news differently, and we hope that you come back next week to, you know, hopefully find those answers that we're also looking for. Um, and if there was something that raised your eyebrow during this episode that you want us to touch base on, you can reach out to us at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash pwbn. If there's anything that, and another part is transparency, if there's something that we just outlandishly got wrong, let us know. We want to correct that. You know, we don't want to be, you know, part of the issue. Like I said, we want to practice what we preach. But please shoot us an email, pwbnetwork at gmail.com. And yeah, thanks for listening. We hope you come back next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pwbn. Thanks for listening.